the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 10, and can be found on pages 477 of most of your pew Bibles. As I read today's scripture, I'll be reading from the NIV 2011 version, which will differ slightly from what you find in your pew Bibles. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. If a snake bites before it is charmed, the charmer receives no fee. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning, their words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness, and fools multiply words. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell someone else what will happen after them? The toil of fools wearies them. They do not know the way to town. Woe to the land whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through laziness the rafters sag, because of idle hands the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter, wine makes life merry, and money is the answer for everything. Do not revile the king even in your thoughts, or curse the rich in your bedroom, because a bird in the sky may carry your words, and a bird on the wing may report what you say. May God bless the reading of his word. I was reminded of the challenge of interpreting Ecclesiastes this week with an email from Stan, who was sending out an email to the worship team talking about what songs that were chosen. And he said, Ecclesiastes tends all over the place. Well, as you can just tell from the reading of the word of God, Ecclesiastes chapter 10 is all over the place. So the questions we have to deal with, even before we enter into the message today, is how do you interpret a book like Ecclesiastes. We're balancing three things. The first is something that you've heard from Pastor Chuck many, many times over and over during the whole time of his ministry here, which was the importance of grasping authorial intent. What did the writer mean and what did the writer have in his mind when he wrote the text? And that is so important. And indeed, it is the beginning point for all of us as we wrestle with how does Ecclesiastes speak to us today? 
But then what we have to do is we have to move from authorial intent into a modern day application. And when we do so in this passage, we are crossing cultures. We're crossing time frames. We're crossing all kinds of things. We're crossing from an Old Testament time into a New Testament time from a time when we didn't have Christ to now a time where we have Christ and the memory of Christ and all that he's done written in the Gospels and written in the New Testament. So we have to make that big jump between what did it say to them and what does it mean to us and how do we apply it to our lives in light of the fact of the third principle we have to always wrestle with, which is how does this passage reveal Christ, lead us to Christ, cause us to think on what Christ has done, reveal one of the many offices of Christ or titles of Christ or something about the work of Christ. So we go from authorial intent to modern application to how does this reveal Jesus to us? So in a passage like Ecclesiastes 10, that's all over the place, I've tried to make it simple. So what you have in your outline today is a very easy roadmap of this is what you have to keep in mind when you're reading through particular verses. So when you come to verses one through four, the principle that I have that helps us organize all these different proverbs, shall we say, the principle is this. Some things are wise and we should learn from them. So let me ask Michael, if you'll come up and share a little bit about what we can learn from verse one. Good morning, Crossbridge. I'm going to be preaching from verse one. So if you get go right into the word. I'm just going to start there. Don't preach too long. You got two minutes. So the verse says, as dead flies give perfume a bad smell. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. And the principle that we're taking away from today is that moral failure ultimately will overshadow ability and accomplishment. And this is an idea that we're all very familiar with. I'm going to give you an illustration. My dad, when he eats food, if there's a little bit of hair in his dish, he will lose his mind and reject the entire dish. And my mom will try to trick him and say, I don't see a hair. Then she'll just pluck it out when he's not looking. So this concept that something small, a little flaw can completely ruin an entire concept. This is an idea that is, that is the reality that we're living in. But at the same time, it gives us a window into how we live life. Let me ask you a question, brothers and sisters. How many of you today are crippled by your flaws? I know this is something that, that I struggle with constantly. And in my recent revelation of what it's like to live out of the gospel, it's taken that mentality of, of being completely rejected based on a single flaw to transitioning to living life in the peace that is in the gospel. Brothers and sisters, are you living in a merit-based gospel where you see your flaws, you see a, a hair in your dish, and you believe it is reflective of your entire character and your place before God? Ecclesiastes isn't just a reality check. It's a window into what the gospel is. Amen. Thanks. <clears throat> Today, I needed a little bit of help from my friends. So, Patek, would you come up and um, lead us through verses two and three? Let me reread verses two and three for you. The wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. Even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking, and he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. 
We learn here that our hearts, our core, our inner beings, our desires, wills, emotions, and thoughts is what guide and directs us. To understand from them, in the Jewish culture, the right side was what was a place of honor, what was greater, and the, pla- and the left side was the lesser, the vulnerable, or later on, Jewish text says, good and evil. The author gives an illustration exactly in verse 3. What does this actually mean if our heart directs the way we go? It means that when the fool walks along the road, that everyone can see him. Everyone can see what's pouring out of his heart. That the way that his heart is, is the way that his actions flow. And we need to take heed of that ourselves. That we can't hide what's informing our hearts. We can't hide whether we're being saturated in the word of God and God's wisdom or we're letting wisdom of the world be what saturates our minds and our hearts. And we can't always pay attention to whether or not is Christ what is filling us or are things like Facebook and social media or sports articles what is filling us. We need to take heed and allow God and his wisdom, allow the person of Christ to be what fills us and directs us and guides us, because that is what others will see, regardless of the words we say. We have a a statement similar along the lines, actions speak louder than words. And it is true that in our hearts, what is shaping our hearts will shape our lives. And if we want Christ to be reflected in our lives, we need Christ in our hearts. So verse 1, we've already heard that moral failure will overshadow ability and accomplishment. And then verses 2 and 3, the inclination of your heart shows who you really are. And you can tell by which way you're going who you really are and whether or not God has done a work of grace in your life. Then as we come to verse 4, we see a different principle. And it goes like this. Keep calm even when those in authority over you are not calm. And that this will diffuse violent situations and volatile situations. Listen to verse four. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. When you think of what it's like to live the Christian life, one of the most important things to do is to focus in on spirituality and how it is that believing the gospel allows you to be at peace and to be calm no matter what else is going on in your life, no matter what terrible things are happening, no matter how bad your situation is. And the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter four talks about this when he talks about the contentment that he's come to know as a Christian. But he doesn't say it's something that automatically happened to him when he became a Christian. He said it was something, the contentment that he had in every circumstance was something that he learned when he says, I've learned to be content In all situations, I've learned the secret of having an abundance and suffering want. Um, I've learned how to be abased. I've learned how to abound. I've learned the secret. And he then says he can do this because he has learned to go to Christ and he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. So the point I'm trying to make is, is that the most important thing in your life, if you're a Christian, is your ability to be calm, even if the people above you are not calm and are out of control because you have the contentment and the peace of Christ that's in your life and in your heart. So when we look at verses one through four, what we see is that some things are wise and we should learn from them. But when we move on to verses five through nine, if you'll see on my outline that you'll find um, in the bulletin, you'll see that some things are just wrong. 
the world is messed up. And so now we're moving from, in a sense, Proverbs that helped us learn what was wise so we could emulate it and follow it. We're now going to look at some things that should get our attention so we should realize there are things that are just wrong. Listen to verse five and how the wrong is described. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions while the rich occupy low ones. So I have a principle that comes from this to connect the passage from then to today. And it goes like this. Wisdom and wealth often do not lead to high position. Wisdom and wealth often do not lead to high position. Now, think about this today. Um, Who are the four wealthiest people in the U.S. today? Anybody? Can anybody stand up and just give us the names in order of who the four wealthiest people are in the U.S.? Uh, Raise your hand. I'll call you just to stand up. Okay. Do you know this, son? Say it again. Ah, uh, that he's he's in there, but he's not he's not in number one anymore. So, okay, Jeff Bezos is first. Thank you. Um, and he, according to last night, he had one. billion dollars that changes daily as the stock market um, fluctuates. Number two, as you're mentioning, is Bill Gates, who, as of last night, 1238, when I was checking how much he was worth, um, he's worth $93.3 billion. Okay, who's in the number three position? Anyone know? Okay, Warren Buffett, Uh, Warren Buffett, and he comes in at eighty seven point two billion. What's point two billion amongst friends? Um, And who's in number four position? What? Who's who's in number four? I'm not hearing it. What? People, what's your favorite app on your phone right now? Facebook, exactly. Mark Zuckerberg is in fourth with $77.5 billion. Some of you thought that Elon Musk was in there because he sent his car and his little spaceman um, into space last week. It was awesome. I hope you all saw it. But actually, he's only worth $20.4 billion as of 12.38 p.m. last night. So he's not even in the top four. But let me ask you a question. Do any of those four people occupy a high office in government? In our land today. No, that's my point. Wealth and even wisdom sometimes don't lead to high position. So we have people in high positions sometimes who lack the wisdom to be there. But some of you are going to say to me, wait a minute. Today in America, it takes money in order to get into a high position. Yes, I'll give you that. So we need to be reminded that these proverbs don't tell the whole story. There's situational wisdom that give us a slice of reality. And that slice is that wisdom and wealth often do not lead to high position. Oh, that our nation was led by Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, or even Mark Zuckerberg. I'd be happy with. Um, Let's move on to verse seven. I've seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. Those of lower position in life often have it better than those who are in higher. You see a slave and he's riding on horseback. And then you see a prince who instead is walking because he doesn't have a horse. This seems wrong. There's something that's just wrong about this. That people of lower position 
often have it better than those who are higher, sometimes because they're taking the blessings of those who are in the higher position and then being able to live out of it. Like you see the servant of a rich person. I was in Indonesia driving a Mercedes and every and everybody looks at the servant like, ooh, he's driving a Mercedes. What am I driving? I was driving a um, 99cc uh, motor scooter. It wasn't couldn't even call it a cycle. OK, so and then there's someone who, who's only making one hundred and fifty dollars per month. He is the servant of one of the rich Chinese businessmen in Jakarta, and he's driving a Mercedes. So here I am, Scooter, here he is in a Mercedes. It's true, those of lower position in life often have it better than those who are higher. Look at verse 8. Accomplishment often leads to tragedy. Joseph, would you come and read the passage and help us understand this? So let me read read the verse again. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. So here it talks about a person who has accomplished and done something like digging a pit or bringing down a wall. But the results that he gets from it isn't what he expects. In a perfect world, we do something and we get the blessings or the benefits that comes from making that accomplishment. But that's not what happens all the time. Some things are just wrong. So for and I can think of three examples that can that can go along with this. The first is if the accomplishment of the thing you're trying to do is wrong to begin with, then it's probably not going to lead to something good. For example, if you're going to dig a pit for someone to fall into, like, I mean, I guess you could fall into it yourself. And the second thing that I can think of is if your intent, if pride or hubris or moral failure comes into the situation. How many of you play a sport like basketball or soccer? You're doing really well in the beginning. You're scoring 7 out of 11 points for your team. And you're thinking, wow, I'm on fire today. My team better pass to me so I can make all the shots. And that's when it hits you that you start taking random shots. You start throwing the ball behind your back. You start running in when there's like four people in there trying to block you. And ultimately, you're over, you keep turning over the ball and the other team wins. Sort of like the Super Bowl. Uh, (laughs) And the third is when someone from when you have outside interference that messes with your accomplishment. So let's say let's use the same basketball thing. You're doing really well. The other team obviously does not want you to win. So they start hacking or fouling you and they start they start hitting you. They start they start doing it in just the slightest ways that no one else notices and causes your team ultimately to lose. So that's when outside interference can cause your accomplishment to reach tragedy. And so these, things, these three things all, all aim towards this idea that um, an accomplishment might not necessarily be something great, that you might not get necessarily get something great out of it. And so how does God intend it? That is not what God intended. Some things are just wrong. Because of sin, because of moral failure, we have fallen short of what the ultimate end goal for accomplishments or blessings might have been. And so what does God call us to? God calls us to moral perfection. God calls us to be more like him, to move away from the things of the world, to move away from things like greed, pride, desire. And so I feel that I want to invite us to just recognize that sometimes it's great to have an accomplishment, but not to let that take over us, not to let that rule us.
Joseph's bringing to mind that ultimately the only accomplishment that really matters at all is the accomplishment of Jesus Christ for us, isn't it? Because we will never measure up. The best that we do will certainly lead to our demise if we're trusting in it. And so the only thing we can trust in today, brothers and sisters, is the fact that God sent his son into the world to live that perfect life, that life of accomplishment, that life that pleased God so that when he dies, he then is in the position as man and God to take our sin on the cross. So praise the Lord that it's not up to us and our accomplishment. It's up to Christ and all that he's done. Notice verse nine. What brings blessings also brings danger. Verse nine. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. <clears throat> I had the opportunity to know several of the first generation of house church leaders, um, Moses Xie in Beijing, Alan Yuan in Beijing, Samuel Lam in the south in Guangzhou. And uh, I never got a chance to to meet Wang Ming Dao before he died. But I did get a chance to know these three men that were the, the patriarchs of modern Chinese Christianity. And I even had an opportunity to serve alongside Alan Yuan and Moses Xie for a short period of time on my missionary labors in China. And one of the things that really impressed me was this principle of what brings blessings also brings danger. When Moses Shea was sharing about the fact that when he was sent to prison because he would not join the three self patriotic movement church, he went to a prison that was responsible for digging coal and the coal was helping all the people in the community near where he was at. So. Uh, what he was doing, even though he was doing it under prison labor, was very, very important. And it was bringing blessing, but it was bringing danger. And so each day, as Moses would be digging the coal, putting it in a little cart, the cart was on a little um, railroad track. It was actually pushed. And often the carts full of coal would get out of his hand. And sometimes they would move very, very quickly. They would jump off the tracks. They would pin somebody against the wall and they would kill the people who had been digging the coal. What brings blessing also brings danger. And Moses Shea was praising God that though he spent 20 years in hard labor because he would not compromise his faith and would not ally with the government church in order to make sure that he could preach the gospel unhindered. He went to prison for 20 years and God protected him. Praise the Lord. Um, as we move on, though, and we come to verse 10 um, through 20, we see not what we saw in verse five through nine, that some things are just wrong, that what brings blessing also brings danger and that accomplishment often leads to tragedy and that those of lower position in life often have it better than those who are in higher. Now we see something different in verses 10 through 20. What we see is that some things just are. And think about that as we read through these particular passages. Look at verse 10. If the axe is dull, and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. I don't know how many of you have ever had that experience of having an axe, using an axe, and it's not sharpened. You don't get anywhere or you take a pair of scissors and you're trying to cut through something and it's just not quite um, sharp enough. But from this, um, I think there's a principle for us. And it comes from the end of the verse where it says that more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. Now, what can we learn from that? That with skill, it will bring success. 
It's the fact that some challenges can be overcome by skill, because even if you have a dull axe, if somebody's skillful, they can know how to use it so they can actually use the axe. I don't know how many of you have heard the story of Itzhak Perlman. Anybody know who Itzhak Perlman is? Raise your hand. Some of you. Yes. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Um, I should give candy bars to everybody who knows who Itzhak Perlman is. One of the best violinists that the United States um, and the world has ever produced. And he has polio um, and he's overcome all kinds of obstacles to be a fantastic violin soloist. I had an opportunity to play in an orchestra um, where Itzhak Perlman was playing the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto. I was playing principal trumpet. It was a really interesting and wonderful experience in Santa Barbara when I was in college. And One of the things that struck me was something that happened and something that I heard after my experience of playing with Itzhak Perlman. I heard that in 1995, he had a concert at Avery Fisher Hall, Lincoln Center in New York City, and that in the middle of his performance, his string breaks on his violin. And when a string breaks, everybody thinks, well, he's either going to stop the concert, pick up his um, his crutches, walk off and look for another violin and then come back or he's going to turn to the orchestra and ask somebody to borrow uh, their violin. But you know what? It's what the Houston Chronicle um, said he did. He didn't pick up his crutches. He didn't leave the stage. He didn't turn to one of the other violinists and say, let me borrow your violin. What did he do? He finished with three strings. And that's an example of, of what we're <clears throat> we're talking about. As I looked up this story to find out where it originated, some people say that the Houston Chronicle was wrong and that this never happened. I don't know if it if it happened or didn't happen, but it's an awesome story, um, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> one thing I can attest to you that did happen. There is a violinist named Midori. She's Japanese. And in 1986 at Tanglewood, in the middle of the concert, she lost not one string, but two strings. And she finished the concert on two strings. So that trumps the Perlman illustration. But let me move on. Challenges can be overcome by skill. Go, Midori. Um, verse 11. Dangerous jobs carry risk of failure and death. Listen to this. If a snake bites before it is charmed, the charmer receives no fee. Now, if you're a snake charmer, that's an occupational hazard. You play this little uh, little pipe and then the snake, the cobra comes up and goes like that, you know, and then and then it's charmed and everybody's like, wow. And then the, the the charmer receives money. But what happens if the snake comes up and instead of going doobie doobie doobie, what the snake usually does instead, the snake goes ah and then attacks the guy. Well, from this, we can learn that some jobs, dangerous jobs, carry the risk of failure and of death. Uh, I have a friend who is a professional motorcycle racer. His name is Brandon Cretu, and he's the best friend of, of one of my former assistants. And that's how I got to know Brandon. And Brandon would race in this motorcycle race that would happen in the Isle of Man off of Great Britain every year. Um, and one of the things that was terrible that happened was is that one of the riders that Brandon rode with actually died um, on that crazy um a course at, at the Isle of Man. And when something like that happens, then you realize that some jobs inherently have a risk of failure and of death, yet people still do it. I don't know why they do it, but they do it and they love it. Um, why would someone get in a 
large swimming pool with a whale named Tillicum and then ride that whale as one of the trainers did, if you've ever seen the movie Blackfish. And it highlights what happened when the whale actually killed um, one of the trainers, a terrible thing that happened. But you take a killer whale that's supposed to be out in in the wild, put it in captivity, make it swim around in a small little swimming pool. And it goes crazy sometimes until it come, went crazy and actually killed um, uh, one of the trainers named Dawn many years ago. And, and it's very sad. But the point is, is that some jobs intrinsically carry the risk of failure and death. And that pro- proverb leads us to realize this. Look at verses 12 through 14. We see that wise people speak graciously to help others while fools hurt themselves and others. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. There's two kinds of speech that comes out of our mouth. Words that are gracious are words that are consumed with foolishness. And folly. What do gracious words look like? Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4. He says, Let no unwholesome word proceed forth from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Paul talks about words of grace that build up other people. Um, and this is so important for us. When you speak a word of grace to someone, you speak a word of forgiveness. And you speak a word of empowerment in Christ Jesus, because even if someone has a life where they're used to messing up, it doesn't matter. Speak to them of Christ. Christ can forgive them for their mess ups and can empower them through the gospel so that they will rise again and they will walk in the obedience that God wants us to have an obedience that comes from grace and through faith. And so I challenge you when you see somebody doing something wrong, don't simply think They've done that before. They will continue to do that again. Speak words of grace instead of foolish words. Look at the end of verse 14. And um, let me ask uh, Jalisa to come up and share with us as we see that the future is unknowable. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell someone else um, what will happen to them? Hello. Um, so this resonates with me. I can read it again. Um, no one knows what is coming. Who can tell some, someone else what will happen after them? Um, this resonates with me because, like, during high school, senior year, I applied to, like, 18 colleges, like, around there, which is a lot. Um, and so I, did, I was, like, hesitant to apply to a Christian college. I didn't want to go to a Christian college because I was scared that, like, I don't know that the like my career wouldn't like value my degree, um, but God knew what what He had in store for me. Um, so even though I didn't know what was to come, like going to Gordon was like such a transformational experience for me, and like God has taught me so much about like my identity and my value, and it's grown me so much in that. And so I just want to encourage you that um, God is like all powerful, and He is good, and He has what is ultimately the best in store. Um, so while you may not know what the future is, he does. And so you can trust in that. Amen. Thank you. We've only got time for, um, for one last one. Chris, come up and share with us. Verse 16 and 17. Woe to the land whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness.
We see here that the people are blessed when rulers are appropriate. But when the king is inexperienced and foolish, he brings his country curse. Picture for me for a second that you're in Old Testament Judah. Wicked King Ahaz has just come to the throne. And with his wickedness and foolishness, he has brought instability to the country as the country has been defeated and has lost land to the Syrians. Your way of life is at risk. But then 16 years later, Hezekiah, his son, comes to rule and he brings back proper worship of God. And God honors his wisdom and God delivers your country from the invading armies of the Assyrians. Throughout Judah's history, we see this back and forth between righteousness, wickedness, wisdom, folly, blessing, curse, back and forth, to and fro, over and over again. It's enough to make anyone dizzy. And you know, our modern governments aren't that much different. The value of a wise ruler over a foolish ruler is obvious. But what good is this information to us? If really it feels like there's nothing we can do about the actions of our rulers, whether they be wise or whether they be foolish. What can we do when our governments seem to be unpredictable in how they rule us? Well, the author of Ecclesiastes has previously exhorted us towards discernment and wisdom, such as in verse four and responding to an angry ruler with calmness and gentleness. And yet. As we look, people are blessed when rulers are appropriate. But these two verses serve to remind us yet again of the uncertainty of life, how we can't control our lives, pointing us towards him who is certain. So how can we wrap this all together when we're reading A passage like Ecclesiastes 10 that has so many proverbs that we can see can connect with aspects of our lives and principles that we've shared with you today. Keep in mind that some things are wise, some things are just wrong, and some things just are as you try and make sense of this world that we live in. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time we've had to take a close look at your word, to be encouraged, to realize.